Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. All righty, so uh, welcome back to the show. Of course, I'm your host, Alex Keith, and today I've got Mr. James Friel with us. Did I say that correctly? Yes, sir. Hey, that's, I was worried I was going to butcher that. I'm not going to lie. Every time I get on, I feel like I'm going to butcher that. But uh, James, thank you so much for joining with me today. If you don't mind, what I like to do at the beginning of every one of the shows is go ahead and give you a second to kind of just give everybody an insight of how you how you got to where you're at and how long you've kind of been in the business. I know you got plenty of experience to go over with us. So. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, well, thank you for the invitation. Um, as far as experience, I, I've been in dealerships for roughly 35 years, automotive, uh, probably 37 total. I uh, started out in the world as a technician, and uh, the most recent part of that was doing transmission uh, work in the 80s, so I was a, a very busy technician. For any of you who have been around long enough to remember transmissions in the 80s on GM products, they were, uh, they were horrid. They kept me very busy. I've uh, been a manager for a little over 32 years. I started out in the dealership world with the Sewell Automotive Group here in uh, Dallas, and uh was there many years, uh, 13 years as a manager with them. And I've been with the, the Crest Auto Group uh, here for almost 16 years as a service director that, that entire time. Uh, I, I have done a little bit of everything when it involves the service department in a dealership. So I've, I've uh, tasted it all. <laughs> what is it? The, uh, who does all the flavors of the ice cream? Oh yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Ben yeah, and Jerry's. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm not a job hopper, but I've had plenty of experience in the uh, the, the the limited number of auto groups I've been involved with. So as as far as like, and it, I, I like how you you started off as a technician. That's really interesting because one of the things that I've been able to discuss with people who become service directors and service managers is is they're able to relate to how hard it is to develop technicians how hard it is to develop that talent so from where your experience as being a technician as long as you were and, and having that you know hands-on experience in the 80s but then rolling into service management and rolling into service director role is there any tips or any any type of things that you've started to develop as far as getting your technicians from one level to the next or retaining your technicians well i i um I'm very passionate about the, the technician growth. I, I, uh, I have very little turnover, which that's a, that's a big plus, but I like to home grow technicians. And I've, I've started them out anything from porters I've had and, and had them go. One of my transmission techs started as a porter for me almost 10 years ago. So, I mean, he's, he's moved up through the ranks, but uh, I'm very big into the uh, uh, apprenticeship, mentorship, mentoring, um, having him work with senior techs. That's always been good. I've, I've, done a, a pretty good job recruiting techs from the outside uh, but I prefer to home grow if I get the opportunity so uh, that that's always been good with me I'm big into the, the GM training we offer a lot of Berkshire Hathaways the auto group I'm with uh, we have different training with them as well but uh, it's it's keeping them training them and and uh, keep exposing them to more and more and I, I like to start them out at an entry-level position 
Most people, uh, most dealerships have a quick service department or, a, you know, a, a oil change department. And uh, I start them there and, and work from there. Now, I'm a little bit old fashioned. My shop is still a uh, specialized shop or for the most part, a specialized shop. Like I mm-hmm. still have guys that do just heavy line, like heavy motor, heavy transmission. I've got guys that uh, specialize in drivability, uh, trim work. So um, it, it, that creates some challenges in its own, um, but I get better technicians when I do it that way. <laughs> so the well, proof I mean, is in the pudding. You get a you get a, a bumper to bumper technician, which I'm all for a bumper to bumper technician. Uh, I, I've got some, and, and they do a pretty good job. But it is easier to develop a technician into a specialized field, let's say uh, uh, drivability. Um, because they're going to have more hands-on experience on a regular basis to become very good at that, uh, that particular area. Um, I used an example, my general manager and I had conversations when I first hired on with the company and, uh, he wanted to, the shop was actually a specialized shop when I, when I took it over and he said, uh, well, shouldn't we, uh, go bumper to bumper? And I said, well, you know, there's mixed thoughts on that. And I said, I can go either way. I've worked either way. When I was a school, we were, we were a lateral support group system and we were technically bumper to bumper. It was kind of specialized inside, but, uh, but it was classified as bumper to bumper. Um, but I said, if you have a serious illness, if you have a heart attack, are you going to go to a general practitioner or are you going to go to a heart specialist? You're going to go to a, <laughs> a cardio specialist. And I said, we're selling at that time, you know, 60, 80, $70,000 cars. Yeah. These people care about their automobiles. I want them going to the best technician possible. So I can, I can look a customer in the eye and you say, you have a transmission problem i'm going to get it to the best transmission guy i got in the shop you know because i only have two or three of those that are specialized they're very very good at what they do i love that thought i mean I, and one of the things we've always discussed when we talk about correlating the service department for our advisors or getting the mentality going as far as how you should you know establish yourself is guys one of the things that, you're not that much from different from uh, uh, a different profession. And when I was talking to my guys, I said, you know what, you're like surgeons, you know, what you can do to a vehicles. Yeah. You're specialized in what you can do and trained in what you can do. The biggest difference is you've got blood and guts on you and they've got, right. or they've got blood and guts on them. And then you got oil and, and grease all over you and the pay scale is just a touch different. And so, yeah, a little different sometimes. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I love it. Guys, I got a couple of guys making pretty good money up there. So. <laughs> I don't know. The gap isn't as big as it used to be. I don't think. No. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's very impressive with what people are, are able to, to elevate themselves to, especially when they become more specialized. Now I love exactly how you said it, but I'm really intrigued. Take me through uh, just a, a scenario or somebody that has, this has happened to, you said you had a guy go from a Porter status all the way up to a specialized transmission guy. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Oh, you got it. You, I'm sorry for me, and I'm, I'm sorry if this deviates from what my listeners want to hear. I have to hear this story. Well, I mean, and, and I've had several of these. I've, I've had uh, several guys in my shop that started that way. Um, he, transmission tech, of course, I, when I interview a, a porter, I tell them I'm not hiring you to be a porter. I'm hiring you to do something more in the dealership down the road. Mm-hmm. I said, unless you want to be a career porter, which is fine. I mean, that's fine, but most people don't want to do that for the rest of their career. Uh, and I said, the good thing about a dealership is, is whatever your interest patterns are, whatever your abilities are, there's a job for you. 
If you're a sales-driven type person, we've got sales. We've got service consulting. Uh, if you have a technical mind or if you're more of an accountant, we've got a, an accounting office to put you into. So I, I always hire anybody I hire. I'm hiring with the intention of them growing into more with the dealership. Mm-hmm. Well, hoarders, for whatever reason, you know, they, they tend to lean more towards the shop. Uh, probably just because of exposure. You know, they're here all the time. They're working, you know, work around the technicians. They get to know some of them. They start hearing some uh, income opportunities. And I think that might motivate a couple of them too. <laughs> but, um, but I'll, uh, you know, I'll, they usually start talking to one of the shop foremen or one of my technicians first. And then they end up in my office and, and we start talking about it. We come up with a game plan. But I, I always do the same thing. I start them at an entry level technician position. Um, and if they have no experience whatsoever, I'll have them work with one of the shop foremen. My shop foremen are what we call working shop foremen. They, they still flag or produce labor hours, mm-hmm. but they also help the shop uh, at the same time. Um, so they'll work closely with one of those guys until they get up to speed. And then as they develop um, um, proficiency in the quick service department, my next step, usually not always, is to get them doing some used cars, PDIs, pre-delivery inspections on new cars, and then some uh, some uh, used car work. And what I like about the used car work is it gets them a little exposure to everything on the car. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets them a little, you know, a little interior stuff, a little brakes, uh, squeaks, rattles, uh, light leaks, stuff like that. They don't do any heavy work, but uh, but they get to where they can recognize it, identify it, and. Uh, but they also, during that time frame, figure out what areas of uh, interest they have. Like when I did transmissions, I always joke, I got out of transmissions when they started putting all the wires in them. I'm, <laughs> I'm a mechanical guy. You know, I was, they had four wires going into a transmission when I did them in the 80s. Uh, now there's, you know, whole computer systems inside of the transmission and the trans, uh, computers controlling that. But, um, but I find out what their interest patterns are, and then we start pushing them in those directions. And... Uh, Adrian, he was doing used cars. I had an older uh, transmission tech that was, I mean, he was getting up in years, wasn't going to be working with me much longer. So I had him uh, uh, mentor him for, oh, it was probably better part of a year, uh, work with him. And, and he ended up taking the position over as when he retired. So you were you were already forecasting to an extent or, or, or having a mindset that this, I'm getting ready to lose this, but I can bring this in due to the interest he showed right. or the rate he was going. So he was just, you were actually able to have a one for one. He's out, he's in. Right. And that was, that was a, a growth plan because transmission is one of the, I have two guys in my shop that just do transmissions, but that's not a position that you hire three, four, five, six guys. And right. typically you don't just go out and recruit a transmission guy. I always right. say the transmission, there's the only transmission guy you're finding uh, is if they're good, they're not going anywhere. They're usually going to stay wherever they are, or they're or they're not so good, and that can be very expensive for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are the ones looking for the jobs typically. So I've had better luck home growing those, um, but I've had several positions throughout the shop. My one of my drivability techs, he started as a porter for me. Uh, Daniel was with me at our old location, so he's been here 10, 12 years. I mean, so he moved up very similar similar pattern. Um, I know it sounds a little boring, but that's it's it's worked very well for me. I've also had a lot of luck with the with the ASEP program, you know, the General Motors ASEP program, but that's kind of fallen um, drastically over the last few years. Uh, right before COVID, uh, their 
instructors started dropping off. They had some issues, so that hasn't been a good uh, source for us. So we had to rely more on our home growing. And I've done things too, like recruiting at some of the the bigger schools like UTI and uh, uh, some of the others out there. And and we get some of those to a degree, but if I can home grow one and teach them the way we want them taught and develop them the way we want to develop them, it, it's it's been very successful for us. Yeah, it's, it's always try, tough trying to re-break a horse. So, right. I mean, it's, right. I think that's outstanding. I love, I mean, it's not boring at all. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with green service managers, experienced service managers, and the overall consensus is they're looking for technicians and, and the turnover rate that they're dealing with. And so we start talking about it. I, I literally just had a group up in Canada where I was having a conversation about internal growth and, and starting to groom people, mentorships, and They've taken that on and they've started to do it in their way that makes the most sense for them. And, and they've, they love it. They're, they're loving it. They're loving how right. they can, can start to see the, the light at the end of the tunnel and not having to go out and find that technician that is a transmission guy that's already been at four dealerships that they're got to take a gamble on that maybe he won't mess it up this time. So that's impressive. So when you, when you have these guys developed or when you have guys that are already seasoned and now they're, they're in their specialty fields, one of the things I'm starting to get questions about is this EV stuff coming up. So as the EV or the electronic vehicles come into play, are you still able to use the same process or is it starting to evolve or how does that work? Sort of. Uh, technicians, uh, as a general rule, do not like change. <laughs> I think, you know, anybody in this business knows that. I mean, you can't move them from one one stall to another in the shop without them ready to be. They'll, they'll quit over that, you know, just move it across the shop. Well, EVs got them scared, and uh, and I've got a lot of guys have been with me a long time out here, and I've had very frank conversations like, "What well, what are the concerns? What are what are the problems?" And uh, perception, because Cadillac is just now starting to get in the EV world with our Lyric, that's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, starting to get some cars sold, starting to get some cars in service. Um, but the perception is there is no maintenance to speak of. You're gonna you're gonna have what tires, brakes, possibly. Um, there's not a lot of just maintenance wiper blades and stuff like that. You know things that there's no labor attached to. Yeah. Um, I think there's a cabin filter on, but all small type stuff. But they perceive them as cars that the only thing they're gonna have is is it's going to be a problem. There's not maintenance to speak of. It's all going to be uh, heavier problems. And I said, guys, I said, there's going to be plenty of things to work on. And once you become familiar with them and become familiar with the, the specific problems, because the good thing about you build the same car, 200,000 of them, whatever the number is, they're going to have inherent problems. And once you've experienced those inherent problems, they become, uh, as the text call them, gravy. They know how to fix them. They know what to do to fix the problems. Like we've already replaced two batteries on the lyrics and it wasn't because the batteries failed. It's because they had problems at the, uh, the railhead before they were even delivered to us where they had to use forklifts to pull them off of the, the trains for whatever reason. And they damaged the battery. So we've actually replaced those. The first one, they're like, Oh my gosh, we got these big racks you got to use. You got to do all this stuff. Scared to death that they do the first one, the second one. They're like, oh, we're beating time on this. <laughs> well, it, it's it's the same thing. It's yeah, it's all the same. Uh, the EVs are going to be more um, 
programming issues. We've already, the ones we have sold, that's what we've seen on them primarily. And the technicians, that's not hard work for them. It's just getting, it, it's the unknown that's the, the, that's the scary part. But I've got a young technician that's a, uh, um, he's a, what we call a trimmer, interior electrical technician. I've got him fully certified. I've got uh, four other guys in the shop that are fully certified that are my older crew, but he's more receptive to it. He's younger. He's in his 20s, late 20s. And he's like, sure, I'll work on him. He doesn't, he doesn't. He's, he's the one that's replaced the batteries already. And, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's perception, changing the mindset. The, the working on them isn't going to be any different than what they're doing now. They're still going to be chasing codes. They're still going to be reprogramming. You're still going to have, you drive a car far enough, it's going to have mechanical problems. It's going to have, you know, uh, electrical problems. It's just, we don't know what those problems are yet. So uh, the one thing I do know is the AC systems are, are kind of wild on these things because they not only cool the interior of the car, but they help cool part of the battery system, mm -hmm. and the charging system. So I was talking to uh, one of my shop foremen who does a lot of AC work, and he said, man, I, I'm, I'm a little nervous the first time I get in one of these. He said, they've got lines running everywhere on these cars. I said, but once you get familiar, mm -hmm. it'll be the, the same old thing. And it's just more keep, you just got to talk them off the ledge. Because I don't think it's necessarily going to be that far away from what they're doing currently. I just I just don't think, I think once they, you see 10% of your cars coming in that are EVs, that's just another car. And it's got these, these inherent concerns and, and we know what to do. Yeah, it's like you don't have to become an, an electrical engineer, guys. Like, no, well, because <laughs> like, anything, but even on the reprogramming and stuff, they're like, oh, you got all this program. I said, really, what do you do? You plug in a, you know, an OBD2 Scan, port, yeah. you, you, you plug it in, you download it from the laptop, and you walk away from it for 30 minutes and then go back and verify everything's done. So, yeah, real technical, dude. You know? Yeah, real technical, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't hurt your fingers. Pulling it in and pulling it out. So, that's but, um, it. so would you say with your experience to this point, or at least how you, I mean, cause you, you, like I said, your experience, you've kind of seen how this stuff goes, especially developing guys and how good that's turned out. Cause you mean, you've got your, your heels pretty much dug in. I'm a homegrown guy. So do you think with what you said with the younger guys who are developing, is that going to be more of your focus to develop into EV guys or having absolutely. the, had some more of the younger absolutely. guys? Yes, it's going to be the younger crowd. In fact, uh, I've got several out there. I'm already planting the, the seeds with them, but there's so much training that's required. I, I can't just flip the switch and say, okay, you're going to be doing EV. Right. If I started the guy green right now, I've got, it would probably take close to a year to get all the training he would need required by GM before he can even touch a, an EV. Wow. They're, you know, because they're concerned with the, the safety issues of the high Oh, yeah. And, and all that so i i get it on the training but um but yeah the younger people are going to be a lot more receptive to it they are going to be about it i can remember the first time i saw the yellow cones and the big gloves oh I yeah can, I, I can remember it, it was it was like what are we doing? i'm in a dodge store and it was when we had fiat and like, what are you doing my shop foreman guy and he was our master diesel tech at the time he was he was funny uh he kind of talked like cousin eddie and um he said well i gotta go work on this electrical car and I want to make sure I don't fry myself. And I said, it's, it was interesting just to see everybody has to have their space. It was a big deal 
at the time and it was so new and so fresh from and different from the norm everybody was like i'm not i'm not he can do all those i'm not touching them and then he was telling everybody he was like yeah i got paid x amount of hours and did it in like half the time so it was uh once like you said once you kind of get that down there so um that's that's really impressive and really cool how it's it's translatable to the development process that you've already created and even in even to the future i think that's that's really awesome that you're going to be able to to use homegrown technicians so um that's that's impressive that's a lot of fun but uh you know one of the things i'm i'm interested to see is is how fast i mean i know they're pushing it and i know they're really pushing it but how fast that's going to take over a majority of what of the what the current market is from hybrids to, to mechanical vehicles to EV. I, I think it's going to take a little longer than than what we're being told. Yes, I mean, sir. you got to have demand too. I, I yes. don't think that eighty uh, percent of the customer base out there want an EV. I don't can afford can afford an EV. Can afford it, or let's say cost for cost. Let's say it's equivalent. Some folks won't. You know, they just EV doesn't fit their lifestyle here in Texas. Everybody, you know, you're going to drive. If you go anywhere, you're you're driving huge distances, so it's not as practical as it would be. I could see EVs in San Francisco, New York City, stuff like that all day long mm-hmm. because everything's very uh, very uh, close proximity. But um, I think it'll be a slow process. I think we've got 500 lyrics pre-sold. Uh, we're just now starting to get deliveries on them. We uh, GM actually did something smart this time. When, because we've had these lyrics now for what a year, a little over a year, right at a year, mm-hmm. and they only sold the first group. It was phase one, two, and three. First phase was only to GM employees hmm. or retirees. And at first, I thought, why, why do that? And I thought, that is the smartest thing they've ever done. They let them be the R and D. <laughs> normally, right. normally a manufacturer builds a car and they just say well let's start selling them to customers and we'll figure out what the problems are later right so their first uh two or three phases they didn't let a, a regular retail customer get into one until here in the last few months interesting and i thought you know that that is actually a smart approach i mm-hmm. i'm normally the the basher on the manufacturer <laughs> on some of their ideas but uh, that was that was a good approach I still think they haven't worked all the kinks out yet, but we are starting to get them get them out to the customers. But, but uh, like I said, we've got 500 pre-sold. Uh, Sewell's kind of in the same. Uh, we're within a few cars of each other, but we're the big ones in the Dallas market, Dallas Fort Worth market. And uh, of the thousands of cars a year, that's not really that many cars. I mean, it's still right. a small percentage of the total total units. Um, I don't know. I mean, what are we right now? One percent or something like that, or EV that are on the road right now? Yeah, if that, and and you're still going to get the residual impact of people that are excited about it and get the, and you know, right. and they they don't they don't have it. I mean, I have a have a cousin of mine that bought an EV and they were proud of it and they loved it, and then they they were supposed to drive from South Carolina to North Carolina for a for a birthday party, and they didn't drive their EV card. That's why you drive your EV car you love so much. They didn't right. charge it too many times on the way up here. So they well, just drove I, their hybrid instead. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, and that's, that's a consideration. It depends on what the application is. Like I drive uh, 35 miles one way from home or work. So an EV would actually work good for me because all I do is drive back and forth to work. Right. You know, maybe a little errand here and there. But a 70-mile-a-day round trip, that's perfect for EV. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
that that's practical. But a guy that uh, has a delivery route or a uh, you know a, uh, a courier service or he's delivering pizzas or whatever, that, that's not <laughs> that's, that's not gonna not, work out. It's not gonna work out as well. I mean, it's no gonna, more thirty minutes or less. Yeah, complexity. <laughs> yeah. Well, James, brother, I, I, I thank you so much for coming on the show today. I love this conversation. This was a fantastic conversation. Uh, what I always like to do as we start to wrap up things at the end of the show is if there's any closing remarks about what we've kind of discussed that you would you would leave for anybody out there, would love to hear them. Well, first, thanks for having me. Uh, this is uh, my uh, debut uh, podcast appearance, <laughs> so <laughs> never done one of these before. Uh, you said something early on about me being a technician originally and, and moving into management. That is an unusual, that I'm kind of a dinosaur with that. Most folks in management nowadays didn't come from the shop. So right. uh, I would advise technicians, if you do want to go that route, you go write service for a little while and then become a, a, a service manager director at that point, because uh, dealing with customers is a, a little bit of a skill set You don't develop too much in the shop. No, you don't. I can I can one hundred percent understand where you're coming from with that. I'm sure a bunch of the listeners can as well. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely, brother. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, and and hopefully have you back on another. You have your debut debut now. You get maybe a taste for it, huh? That's right. That's right. I'm a regular now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. <laughs>